All right, good to have you here tonight. And let's go ahead and take our Bibles. We'll turn to the book of Romans again here tonight, Romans chapter 9. Again, we'll, Lord willing, complete this chapter here tonight, considering some thoughts from the book of Romans once again. And uh, tonight I want to look at uh, another thought here from Romans 9. Uh, last week we looked at the privilege of the Jews as far as election goes. Uh, they had a privilege, again, of getting the scriptures, a privilege of getting the law, being adopted, loved, created, all those kinds of things. And uh, we find that according to Pro, uh, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. And uh, I just want to begin in Romans chapter 9, verse number 6 tonight. We'll get right to the message as we consider tonight a case for God's free sovereignty. I want to consider a case for God's free sovereignty. And uh, we'll begin here, verse number six. And I'll read to verse 18 here to begin with. And then we'll, again, consider more of the chapter as the message goes on. But let's begin in verse number six. The Bible says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, uh, not sorry, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. And it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power unto thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. I want to consider here tonight a case for God's free sovereignty. Let's pray as we consider this thought here tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, again for tonight. Thank you again for this time we can meet. Again, just as we meet, I pray, Lord, we'd understand more about the nature of God, more about the sovereignty of God, more about the care of God here tonight. Again, just bless this time as we meet again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I speak on God's free sovereignty, I want us first to, uh, to define that. God's free sovereignty means that God freely chooses to do as he pleases. Now that might sound bad to some, that might sound good to some, but God's free sovereignty means that God freely chooses to act as he pleases. 
There is not a person, nor a spirit, nor anyone that has power to uh, change what God decides to do or has done in the past. And so we find here tonight this thought of God's free sovereignty. I want to talk about it. This is talked about largely in verse number 14 through 18. So I want to just consider those verses to begin with. Again, we'll come back again to the verses there at the beginning, uh, some more here later in the message. But verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it is not him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. And so as we see, Tonight, this thought of God's free sovereignty, God's ability and the sovereignty to show mercy to whom he chooses. He has also the ability and the sovereignty to show compassion to who he will. He has the ability and a capability to harden the hearts of individuals. As it mentions down there, verse number 18, it says, therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom, he, and whom he also hardened. Yet as we consider this thought on uh, God's sovereignty, I, I want us to understand it's free, but it's also pure. Through his infinite wisdom, through his infinite power, through his infinite goodness, through his infinite grace, through his infinite love, through all the things that God has, he chooses to exercise his will as he pleases. I want to consider a few supporting verses that teach the same thing. Let's turn to Psalm 115. God has the right and ability and certainly the wisdom and the perfection to do as he wills. And as he does what he wills, people will question what he wills. In fact, again, as Paul's writing here, he's trying to, again, maybe try to uh, again, set aside some of the thoughts that maybe the Jews have concerning how God does things or doesn't do things. And uh, we see those in this passage. But let's read here in Psalm 115 and uh, verse number one through uh, verse number three. The Bible says, Not unto us, O Lord, but unto us, uh, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth says. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in heaven. He has done whatsoever he hath pleased. He has done, past tense, whatsoever he hath pleased. And so God has the ability to freely do whatsoever he pleases. And he does what he pleases with the purpose, I believe, of doing what is good and what will glorify him through his creation. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 46. Now, some would argue with the sovereignty of God. They think God maybe has too much power, or they might think about the, the sovereignty being free. In other words, not influenced really that much, really by creation. I understand we could talk about prayer and things like that, a whole different story there. But I'm talking about God's general purpose in, in life is to do as he pleases. Isaiah chapter 46 here uh, verse number nine also says this, but also says some other interesting things. Isaiah 46, verse number nine. 
Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east and the man that executeth my counsel from far country. Ye have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Hearken unto me, ye that are stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness. I will bring near my righteousness. I shall not be afar off, and my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Now God does what he desires to do and what is best to do, and what is perfect to be done. And so as we consider this thought of God's sovereignty, his free sovereignty, we see this was exercised both on Moses and Pharaoh. As we turn back to Romans chapter 9, it was exercised both on Pharaoh and on Moses. I say both. I mean, we do not consider how God sovereignly tried to show grace and bring uh, faith, really, uh, not only to Moses, but also to Pharaoh through those plagues that he sent. But let's read here in verse number 17. It says, For the scripture saith, Romans chapter 9, verse 17, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power unto thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. And so someone might say, well, why, why did God deal with Pharaoh as he did? To show his power and that people would know about God throughout the earth. And then it says in verse 18, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardeneth. And then verse 19 says, thou wilt say then unto me, why doth thou yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Let's turn back to Exodus. I just want to look back here quickly. God freely showed grace to Moses, but he also showed grace to Pharaoh. And uh, as we turn back there to Exodus chapter 33, uh, Exodus chapter 33, I just want to read here a little bit. God is sovereign to do as he pleases. And Again, someone might say, well, why doesn't he do what I'd like him to do? Why doesn't he send Jesus back today? Why doesn't he take care of the wicked? Why does he allow for sin to continue on? You know, we can question all th kinds of things when it comes to God. But we'll see again, God does what benefits, uh, again, others, uh, things for good and for his glory. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, I just want to begin here reading a little bit about Moses and uh, this reference, I believe, to showing mercy to Moses. Exodus 33, verse number 11 says, The Lord spake unto Moses as face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend and turneth again his, uh, uh, into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not from the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See that thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let uh, me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast uh, said, I will, 
I know thee by thy name, and thou hast found grace in, thy, in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now the way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go before thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And when and wherein shall it be known? Herein I and my people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not that thou goest with me? So shall uh, we be separated, I and, and thy people, from all the people that are on the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I would do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I have known thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show, my, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to, thy, to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. And he said unto thee, thou canst not see my face for there shall be no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, uh, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass that while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by and I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts of my face shall not be seen. The Bible says there in the book of Romans, he'll show mercy to whom he will show mercy. And certainly again, here we see in the book of Exodus, God showing Moses mercy by allowing him to see his presence to some degree. And again, we can talk about the sovereignty of God. Not all of us have got to see God, but Moses did. And others did over history. And there's certain, again, uh, goodnesses, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it, or mercy shown to different people that we will not experience, but others have experienced. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 65. God freely has shown grace and mercy both to Moses and to Pharaoh. And uh, we'll look at Pharaoh a little later as the Bible uh, does talk about grace extended him also. But Isaiah 65, verse number one, the Bible says here, Isaiah 65, one, I sought of them that asked not of me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that is not called by my name. I've spread out my hands all the day to this rebellious people, which have walked in a way that is not good and after their own thoughts. It goes on and talks about Israel. But it talks there to begin with the Gentiles. I am sought of them that ask not of me. I am found of them that sought me not. And so God showed his grace and his goodness and privileged the Jews to begin with. But he also, as you see in the scriptures, he also extended grace to the Gentiles. And you'll find if you study the Bible that God sovereignly works in the hearts and minds and lives of many people. Let's turn to uh, Psalm chapter 135. He probably, again, I, I don't know how to say this. It seems like maybe I'm taken away from God's power. But I know sometimes they'll say God's working here. God's working here. He's working in this situation. He's working through this trial. He's working through this storm. He's working through this sickness, whatever it might be. And we might say, you know, God is working here. He's involved with this or he's involved with that. 
Well, it, it, it is true. I believe to some degree he's involved with all creation all the time because he's the creator and he's also the sustainer and supporter of all life. And in doing this, he chooses sometimes to appear and do certain things. And uh, just going to read here a little bit in Psalm 135. Let's read again here. It says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, for he is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. And so the Lord is good. And uh, someone says, well, how do you know for sure if he's good? Well, it says in verse number six again, it says similar to what we've looked in in Isaiah. And also there in the Psalms, it says, Who's, uh, it says whatsoever the Lord pleases, that did he in heaven and in earth and seas in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for rain. He bringeth the wind of the treasures. He smote the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast whom uh, he sent tokens and wonders in the midst of the people of Egypt upon Pharaoh and all the servants. He smote great nations. He slew mighty kings. It goes on and says a number of different things. Look at verse number uh, 14. For the Lord will judge his people. He will repent himself concerning his servants. It goes on and says a number of things. But we see again that, that God is indeed in control. He sends weather uh, to places and peoples. He disciplines or judges people. And some will argue God is not just because it seems like he chooses to show mercy to some and maybe not mercy to others. But the reality is nobody deserves grace. Nobody deserves mercy. Love, grace, and all those kinds of things are extended unto all people, but certainly in different situations and at different times. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 9. Uh, so defining God's free sovereignty is that God pleases to show grace and uh, do things according to what will give him glory and also would be for the best good. Romans chapter 9 and uh, verse number 6, I wanted to back up here a little bit as we consider again understanding some things about God's free sovereignty. God's free sovereignty not, is not extended to a particular race, family, people, or nationality. And this is something that Paul was writing, I believe, because there would be Jews that would read this letter along with Gentiles. And so let's pick up there in verse number six. It says, not as though the word of the uh, God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they see be called, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. I just want to just kind of zero in on verse 8 here just for a moment. Uh, they that are, are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. And so some of them might think, and the Jews thought that they're automatically the children of God. And uh, again, Paul is making a case here that it's not of race that one is saved, but it's rather of grace that one is saved. Again, these may be historically a people chosen to be a seed. It says that in verse number eight, it says, uh, last part of the verse, that the children of the promise are counted for the seed. But it goes on there and, and, and mentions that it's not truly uh, everyone who's a part of this, children of God, 
or the people of God, if you would. Verse 11, it says, For the children being not yet born, neither have they done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. And so the Jew assumed that they were of Abraham's seed and they were God's children. And uh, I'd just like to turn back to John chapter 8 here and we'll see this. I mean, uh, the Jew in general has a sort of, and again, I'm not certain about the secular Jew today, but the Jews of these days and Jews of the Old Testament days had certain desires or certain thoughts that they were chosen uh, to be God's people and therefore they were again God's people uh, just by being born into a in, in the right family uh, again reading here in, in John chapter 8 and verse number 33 the Bible says they answered him and said we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man and how sayest thou ye shall be made free we be Abraham's seed we're Abraham's seed. But the reality is, Abraham's seed actually went in two different directions. Through Ishmael, you have the Arabs, a faith system that's contrary to the word of God. Through Isaac, you had a different faith system that was of grace. And again, look forward again to a sacrifice. And uh, we be of Abraham's seed is not enough. Read there in verse number 34, it says there, And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. And the Son, therefore, shall make you free. Ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Hey, you're Abraham's seed. You're Jews. But that doesn't really mean anything. The Son must make you free. He goes on in verse number 44. They, bring, they boast that they are uh, the children of God or the children of faith. Uh, you see there in verse number 44. Ye of your father the devil and the lust of your father you would do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar, the father thereof. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And so they might think they're, again, in the right place. In fact, it says that in verse number 48, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. God's our father. We're his children. That's how they saw themselves. But yet Jesus says, no, you are of your father, the devil. And uh, that's because they hadn't exercised faith in Jesus Christ. And as we turn back to Romans chapter 9, some might think, you know, uh, through our heritage or through, again, being around the right people, being born in the right family, uh, people religiously have one up on someone else. They don't have really one up on someone else. Romans chapter 9, verse number 8, it says, That is, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And it mentions the verse number seven, last part of the verse, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And how is one a child of God? It's through salvation. Let's turn back to Romans chapter two. The Jew thought, hey, circumcised, we got the law, we're of the right faith, we're of the right race, we're of the right religion. 
We have all these fathers in our background. We have the word of God. We have the tablets and all those kind of things. We have sacrifices and all these things. Let's read in Romans chapter 2, verse number 25. But do these prepare? Do these make a person saved? Does it get them in a place of right relationship with God? The answer is no. Romans chapter 2, verse number 25 says, For the circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circum is made on circumcision. Therefore, if on circumcision keep the righteousness of law, shall not the uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it be fulfilled the law, judge thee, who by the letter and the circumcision does transgress the law? Notice this. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that of circumcision, which is of the outward flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, in circumcision of that of the heart, and in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, what is this saying? It says we need a circumcision of the heart, not a circumcision of the flesh. We need a change of the heart. And although God showed many things and showed his purpose and worked through the Jews and showed his grace and mercy to Moses and those in the Old Testament, let's turn back to Exodus chapter 7, even Pharaoh, uh, you'll find in Exodus chapter 7, 8, and following, especially here, that uh, you'll find again some hardening that takes place. And as you'll study the subject of the hardening of the heart when it comes to Pharaoh, it followed this process. He hardened his heart, and then God hardened it. And then he hardened his heart, and then God hardened it. And this happened over and over again. Uh, I, I've seen it said that there were 10 cases where he hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart. So 10 times he hardened his heart, and God hardened his heart. Let's look at this just a little bit. Ephesians, uh, Exodus chapter uh, eight, Exodus chapter 8. This hardening of the heart took place. How did it take place? Well, it took place after God, again, encouraged him to allow for God's people to be let go. And uh, he, again, in, in every case, uh, he would, you know, he would, you know, basically in some way say, I'll, maybe I'll let you go, and then he changed his mind, that sort of thing, basically along the way. But uh, Exodus chapter 8, let's pick up there in verse number 15. As uh, he was asked to let people go, the Lord worked on his heart, and he also hardened his, his own heart. Uh, you see here in Exodus chapter 8, verse number 15, and when Pharaoh saw that they, there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. So got rid of the frogs, then he hardened his heart. Exodus chapter 8, verse number 32, it says, And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. So another plague sent, a plague of flies, hardened his heart again. Exodus chapter 9 there, verse number 25. Again, you see this over and over again. It's, 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 it's God showing his grace, God showing his glory, God showing his wonders, God showing his power. And he could say, you know, there's no God like, God, like the God of heaven. But yet, he didn't listen to these things. 
Uh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 25, it says, And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said unto him, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. You know, it's actually just understanding sin, righteousness, and judgment to some degree there. And treat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail. And I'll let thee go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I be gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands to the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that thou wilt not yet fear the Lord thy God. And uh, you find there again, he hears from God, he sees the things of God, and he still doesn't listen. In verse number 35, it says, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord has spoken by Moses. And so we find in the Bible, God showed grace, he showed his glory, he showed his power. And I believe he gave the opportunity for Pharaoh and his people to turn to the Lord and say, he is the only God. He is the God of gods. And uh, verse number 27, it says, The Lord said to call for Moses and Aaron, said unto them, I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. He didn't repent at this. He could repent. He could have repented and put his faith in God. Just like those of Nineveh. Again, God shows grace. Turn back to our text. Might not understand why he does it or how he does it or, you know, the, the, the seasons that he does it in and that sort of thing, but God extends grace unto all. And uh, let's move on there. Verse number 19. God sends us grace as God is the potter and we are the clay. Verse number 19, it says, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why hath thou find fault? Who for... Who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, thou art, uh, who art thou that replies unto God? Shall the thing say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made us thus? Hath not the potter power of the clay, and of the same, uh, the same uh, lump, uh, to make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, Endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath aforetime prepared unto glory, even so whom he hath called, not the Gentiles only, not the Jews only, so uh, sorry about that, but also the Gentiles. And uh, so you see here in the Bible here, it mentions again God as a potter dealing with the clay. And uh, someone might, says, might say, well, what does, the, what does the potter have over the clay? Well, the potter is the creator of the clay. And uh, so the, the potter, which is God, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 64, has power over the clay. And uh, as he has power over the clay, he has power over us, he has power over old people, he can choose... And someone says, I, I don't get why he does what he does. It's not our business. He's all wise. He's all powerful. 
He's all good. He's all knowing to do what he will. Why, why would he choose one or why would he do this, that or the other thing? Again, it's not me and, and you to be able to decide or to understand fully why. But I want to read here in Isaiah 64, verse number six. Uh, through verse number eight, it says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness is ours, filthy rag, and we do all fade as a, a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away and there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, but thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art the potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Again, you'll find in the Bible, in the book of Jeremiah, and I'm not going to have a turn here tonight for lack of time, but uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, you'll see again the potter on the wheel. And the potter works the wheel. And the potter has the ability to uh, change. He has the ability to shape. He has the ability to select. Again, each, each of the vessels that he makes for his honor, for his glory, and for his will, and for his purpose. And so I just want to say this about God. God has the right to select and the right to shape us because he is the potter. And uh, you'll see again that he does so in the word of God. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 9. He sovereignly chose to show the Jews many a thing. He also, over time, again, allowed at times the Gentiles to be uh, brought into this grace, be, be brought into this faith system. The Jews are supposed to share their faith system with the rest of the world. Let's pick up in verse number 25 there, if you would. Romans 9, 25, it says, And he saith also to Enosi, I will call them my people which were not my people, and, and her beloved, which was not, not beloved, and it shall come to pass, and in the place wherein it was said of them, ye are not my people, they shall be called the children of the living God. Who, uh, Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now, it just talks here a little bit about Again, the Gentiles and also talks about uh, God there and, and the Jews there. And it says in verse number 27, amongst the Jews, a, a remnant shall be saved. And it talks about there that people would be called, calling on the living God that were of a Gentile background. Now, why is he putting this here in the book of Romans? It's to convince the Jews that the Gentile is to be saved. Again, he's citing from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse number 10, verse number 223, and uh, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles can be saved by grace. Um, let's read just the last part of this chapter as we consider God's free grace is extended to all, to all nations. Yes, it is in the scriptures that God, in his sovereign will, decided to work, especially with the Jews, concerning grace, the law, the giving of the scriptures, the uh, giving the gospel, etc. But he also worked with the Jews. Notice the response here. Verse number 30, it says, What shall we say then that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness 
had not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written in Zion, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What do you see in these last verses? Israel had opportunity to follow faith, but they continued in the works of the law. It says there in the law of righteousness, verse number 31. and verse number 32, uh, they put their faith in the works of the law. And so they rejected grace, followed their religion, their own faith system. And you'll see that in the next chapter. We're not going to look at that here tonight, but they created their own righteousness, which was not of the word of God, but was of their own background and their own beliefs. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to close here tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, God's glory and grace has been, again, given to people after his sovereign will and according to his will and according to what he pleases. I don't understand, nor does anyone fully understand why God does what he does. Uh, Again, when it comes to different occasions or different places and and again, certainly different trials and those sort of things, but God is working in these things for his glory and for his good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, wherein his great love wherewith he loved us, even where we are dead in trespasses and sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 11, wherein remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called under in circumcision, by which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at this time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye are sometimes who are far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. God is good. God does things, again, sometimes secretly, seems indiscriminately, might seem after race or nationality or after persons or powers. But yet you'll see here in the Bible, in verse number 14 of Romans chapter 9, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. He chose Jacob over Esau. The Bible says, I love Jacob in verse 13, but I've hated Esau. And again, again, I didn't have time to, to explain that much here tonight, but that deals with, again, largely the nations there. Jacob of a love and Esau have I hated. And again, hated can be less loved. And uh, again, God has the power to choose whatsoever he willeth. It's a great paradox, but he gives much grace to many people over many times in different ways that people would come to repentance and faith and trusting in the Lord. And again, the, the Jews, a lot of them, didn't believe in this. And so they rejected it. God is right to do as he pleases. Let's close as we consider the word of God.